If you'll turn with me this morning to 1 Kings 19. 1 Kings 19. And if you'll remember, uh, last week we talked about a rich young man and who went away sad, ultimately. This week I want to look at another rich young man and speak about him and his outcome. Notice these words from 1 Kings 19. If you have a Bible, I'd like for you to turn there with me. It should be one on your row there in the basket before you. <clears throat> Notice these words here, 1 Kings 19, and then we're going to drop down to 19. So he departed from there and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen in front of him. And he was with the 12th. Elijah passed by him and cast his cloak upon him, and he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, Let me kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow you. And he said to him, Go back again, for what have I done to you? And he returned from the following, or sorry, from following him, and took the yoke of oxen and sacrificed them, and boiled their flesh with the yokes of the oxen. And gave it to the people, and they ate. Then he arose and went after Elijah and assisted him. Let us pray. Jesus, thank you so much for your holy word toward us. You gave us this word, Lord. And so today, would you give us your word? That's all we're looking for today. It's what we need is the word of God, who is truly Jesus Christ. So may we see you, O Lord, today in what we say and what we do. We pray in your most holy name. Amen. The rich young man that we looked at last week uh, approached Jesus and ultimately goes away sad because it says he had many riches and was unwilling to depart from them. Uh, This is another young man who is actually rich. Now, it doesn't say here explicitly that he's rich, but we actually know uh, from elsewhere in the Scripture who his father was, and it even says here, right, Elisha, son of Shaphat, which always reminds me, by the way, of Lord of the Rings. You know, it's Aragorn, son of Arathorn, and also called Elisar, the Elfstone, Dunedin, the heir of Usildor, Elendil's son of Gondor, and it's like, whoa, 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 son of who now? And it reminds me also of Chronicles, of course, where son of so-and-so, and so-and-so begets so-and-so, and begets... This is telling us, actually, in a brief stating, who Elisha is. Not only that, not only is his dad this wealthy farmer, we know he's wealthy because of how many oxen he has, and he actually is working the family business, apparently, because he's on the twelfth oxen. No, no words, there wasn't just twelve oxen, you could... You catch, if they're in yoke, right, there were 12 yokes of oxen, right? So there's at least 24 here that he's working. And this is important for us because he too, in his own time, Elisha, is a rich young man. He's a young man because we know his ministry spans decades after this. And this is early on in his life. And so he's just sort of getting his start. 
in a lot of ways, there's, a, there's some neat similarities here between, between the rich young ruler, who's seen in all three of the synoptic gospels, and Elisha, who will become a prophet. Now, you know, notice what it says here. So he departed from there. Where? You know, you always have, in, in Bible study, it's like where, right? So he's actually, interestingly enough, departing from that famous passage about Elijah. So talking about Elijah first, even though this is Elisha's call. And he's actually departing from where he hears that still small voice. But before that, a few things happen that I just want to gather some context around. Because, you know, this, dropping in a narrative like this is sort of like what I unfortunately do to Jessica all the time. She's watching some show or whatever in, in the bedroom. And I come in, I'm like, well, why is he doing that? Well, who's that? She's like, you just need to watch it, okay? I'm not going to sit here and explain the show to you, right? So, so rather than dropping you in and keeping you confused... Refusing to tell you, I'm going to actually spend just a second to tell you uh, what's going on contextually here in 1 Kings for Elisha's call. Because get this, this is a biblical principle. Elisha's call begins in Elijah, another person. My call to ministry began in other people, not in myself. In other words, I wouldn't be here today doing what I'm doing if it were not for my dad. And his radical conversion and his victory out of alcoholism. Also, Brandon Watson, who is coming next Sunday to be with us and share with us about Mexico and preach. When the Lord called me to preach... And to go into vocational ministry for life, it was through the ministry of another, namely Brandon Watson. He preached the, the, uh, the retreat that Justin and I attended February 28th, 1999. Now, I don't remember what he preached, but it was the presence of God in this person that God spoke through. And I remember what God said to me. You know what? Any desire of a real preacher of the gospel is not that you remember my little three points or four points or zero points that I might give you, but instead that you actually hear the word of God in the preaching of the word of God. So, Elisha's call to be a prophet begins in Elijah. What happens to Elijah? Just briefly. Just briefly, if you'll flip back a a page probably in your Bible you'll see that Elijah, we're dropping sort of into the middle of his life, he predicts a drought. This is not going to make a lot of people happy, but God tells him to do this, and he prays, and it doesn't rain. It's not going to rain for three years. There's going to be a huge famine. He goes to live with a widow of Zarephath. Do you remember this story? And he actually blesses her with continual flour and oil to continue. And it's crazy because it's one of these things where where uh, he tells the widow, and I don't want to preach a whole another message here, but it's just crazy that he says, make me a cake first, and then the Lord will provide food for your, you and your son. But she has to first believe and give away the last little bit of measure of flour and oil that she has in order to get more. 
Boy, isn't that a biblical principle? Give it away to get more. Elisha wasn't being selfish. He was trying to teach a biblical principle. And that is, if you want more, you got to give it away. That's the only way God continues to pour out is if we're willing to give it away, not to keep it. To keep it is to turn it into a cesspool of death. He then, (laughs) her son dies, and she's like, you know, wow, well, here's this prophet of God, and he provides for us and this stuff, but now my son's dead. You know, there's a lot of unexpected things that happen along the way, and Elijah raises this kid from the dead. There's a resurrection here of sorts. And then he confronts King Ahab. And King Ahab, when he sees Elijah coming, he says, Is it you, the troubler of Israel, coming again to tell me bad news? Yes, sir, that's me. And sometimes, unfortunately, in in the preaching of the gospel, there's there's a lot of bad news about us, right? Some of us don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it sometimes. But just like the surgeon who would say, it's time for surgery because something's wrong, we have to accept the wrong and confess that and be willing to be healed. Then he faces, Elijah does. By the way, Elijah means my God is Yahweh. So even his name is, is a proclamation but he faces 450, or sorry, yeah, 450 prophets of Baal and then 400 prophets of Asherah. Now, these are two different gods, right? One's male, one's female. They're actually consorts, which is a nice way of putting lovers. But interestingly, and you have to understand mythology, we don't have time to go into it, even though I would love to go into it. One of the books I was reading in the pictures earlier that was shown was a book on world world religions that dealt with mythology. But nonetheless... In mythological thinking, Asherah actually is the mother goddess of creation. So she's actually his mother, but also his lover. And she's his wife. And this is a fertility cult. And we know from Canaanite religion, some of the nastiest, if you will, putting it nicely, sexual immorality that there was in the ancient world came right out of Baal and Asherah worship. And quite frankly, the reason why Elijah and Elisha are so, so important, even though they never write a word. Isaiah writes, Jeremiah writes, Ezekiel writes, Habakkuk, etc., etc. Elijah and Elisha do not write. They're not write, they're non-writing prophets, and yet they're very important because they turn the tide away from Baal worship and Asherah worship. Because the whole nation, almost wholeheartedly, we're told, went after other gods. Except for these two guys that God used. And so, you know the story. He defeats them, calls fire down from I mean, he says, look, he doesn't just say, call down fire. He says, soak the altar. You remember this? He's like, they've been cutting themselves. Because, you know, if the gods know you're willing to die, human sacrifice is like... Human sacrifice is sort of, within mythology, it's left... For the worst of cases. You know, like if animal sacrifice is not working, grain sacrifice, beer sacrifice, there's all kinds of sacrifices. If that's not working, then if you kill a human, the gods get ecstatic about that. It's kind of like those videos online that you know you shouldn't watch of people dying, but you can't help yourself. The gods are like that. They have to watch it. And they get frenzied when a human is sacrificed. So they start cutting themselves, calling out to Baal. And of course, Elijah makes, he says, excuse me, is, is your God off to the store? 
Did he go buy something? Did he have, maybe he's just in the restroom. Keep going. Maybe he's in the restroom. He'll be out in a minute. And he's literally making fun of him in Hebrew. And he says, okay, enough of this. Water down the altar. Now, remember, they're in a three-year drought. (laughs) And he's telling them to douse this altar in water. I mean, what an idiot, right? Except he knows something that they don't. And that is, when God wins, then the rain will pour. But until the tide is turned, God's judgment is still upon them. So they pour water all over, dig a ditch, and then God zaps it with fire. And it says even the sand was gone. There was nothing left of anything. Fire came down. And then he says, of course, kill them all. And so then they have a you know, big 850 people die that day. Well, Jezebel, you remember, the evil queen of Ahab, really one of the most wicked women of the Bible, she says, tell you what, I've heard what you did, Elijah. And if by tomorrow you're not dead, then I'm going to kill myself. That's how serious I am about your death. And he goes into a depression. He just had done all these things of grain and oil, miracle, going up against 850 prophets of false gods. And, you know, the fire comes down. And, I mean, he's probably walking like, got a little pep in his step, you know, after that, like, yeah, you know what I mean? And then all of a sudden, one word, one word from someone sends him into a spiral. He runs away a day's journey. He, by all accounts, psychologically, we think he's depressed. We think he's anxious, obviously, that about his death. And then he starts, he actually goes and sleeps. Uh, And I think this is maybe in short form, and we're not going to spend a lot of time here, but I think in short form, if you you ever experience depression or anxiety, this may be a remedy for it, which is this. He lays down and he goes to sleep. Sometimes some of the most important things you can do is just go to sleep, just sleep on it. And so he wakes up because an angel touches him, it says. And the angel has been cooking a cake. Who doesn't like cake? No, that's not the kind of cake it really was, but I'm just saying, you know, let's just pretend here for a second that he actually has a cake cooking, right? And so he's got like a cake, like what we think, birthday cake. And, uh, and he's got this cake, he says, rise and eat. So he eats, and then he goes back to sleep. He needs to rest. Angel lets him rest some more, wakes him up again, and says, all right, eat and drink, because he had the cake and he had a jar of water. And he said, because... Your journey is too long for you. You know, in my own life, I've tried to sprint at times when I needed to realize this is, this is a long obedience in the same direction, to use some words of Eugene Peterson, who's the one who translated the Message Bible. A long obedience in the same direction. Sometimes we want everything to just be snappy like our microwave or like our... Instapot. Jessica just bought one of those. I'm just being introduced to that. We want everything instant, don't we? God's not into the instant. You know what he's into? Making us holy. Sometimes that takes a lifetime. But the journey has to start, doesn't it? Arise and go. 
we've got to get going. And Elijah does. Interestingly, he goes 200 miles by foot and doesn't eat for 40 days and 40 nights, the scripture tells us. And then he goes into a cave, none other than at the mountain of Horeb, or you may know it as Mount Sinai. And the importance of Mount Sinai must not be lost upon us, right? Because this is the mountain where God descended and gave his law to none other than the towering figure of the Old Testament, Moses. And it says that there was a thunderstorm up there. The mountain was quaking. It was on fire. And he said, come on up, Moses. I want to reveal myself to you. Well, he gets there to Mount Sinai, Elijah does, and he goes into a cave, and he's essentially living there, and then all of a sudden a windstorm comes through, breaking the rocks, then an earthquake, then a fire. But every time it says the voice of the Lord was not in any of that. But then he hears that still, small voice, or what we just simply would call a whisper. He hears a whisper, just a little whisper. Now, you know about a whisper is you got to be close to hear a whisper. Now, God speaks sometimes in these big ways. And for me, Fe- Justin was there. February 28, 1999, 8.30 at night was a big way. That was my Mount Sinai, right? But at other times in my life, I'm like, all right, Lord, bring the fire, man. Let's hear it. What we need to do. You there? You there, bro? Connection lost? He wants me to get close because he's not bringing the fire. He's not screaming from the mountaintop. Instead, he's whispering. We got to be close enough, quiet enough to hear the whisper. And so in the busyness of our life, the craziness of kids, work and play and sports and travel and whatever... Make time to hear the whisper. Because this whisper is important because in this whisper, God whispers to him, I want you to anoint three people. And we just anointed two people this morning. He said, I want you to anoint three people. One was a pagan king. One was going to be a king afterward who was going to slaughter a lot of pagans, Jehu. He went too far, the Bible says, but he you know, had his purpose. And then the third person that he tells him to anoint is actually Elisha. Go and anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat. That's where we pick up in our text is with this Elisha because Elijah seeks him out and finds him plowing his 12 yoke of oxen and he's on the 12th plow, so to speak, and he's getting it done. He's working away, which is good news for all of us because he's just at his regular job. The disciples, the apostles, they were just at their regular job, right? And Jesus comes to them and says, I want you to be fishers of men. And for Elisha, the call is sort of like this. I want you to plow up ground for me in my vineyard. In my garden. No longer just locally here in this place, but all over the place. You're going to be my plowman. 
And <laughs> Elijah passes by him, it says, and cast his cloak upon him. So just imagine, here he is, you know, he's hot and sweaty, he's on the, on the you know, they got a big project going on here, and they're plowing up everything. These are their tractors in the ancient world, right? I drive by these fields every day, just about, where people are, are out there working in these fields and in, in these gardens and whatnot. And he comes by and he just throws his mantle upon him. And of course, in your own time, look up the mantle and follow that through Kings. Because... You remember the mantle is what parts the, the river, the Jordan River, before uh, Elijah gets caught up in the whirlwind from the chariots of fire, and then Elisha actually keeps that same mantle. But this mantle is meant to be a calling. And he throws his own mantle on him, and here he is in the midst of his work day. And I just wonder, applicationally, I wonder how many of us at work look for God to call us. Like in your work. I mean, you're gifted at your work. You're good at your work, I'm assuming, since you're still hired there, right? Uh, you have skills at your work, right? And, and even retired people, you say, well, you know, I'm retired. Listen, I, I've known retired people all my life, and they still work. Trust me. I talked to my grandparents. they got a schedule that's so busy, it make your head spin. Doctor's appointment here, and doctor... In the middle of our work, I wonder if we ever stop to receive the call of God. Because I promise you, the gospel, the preachers of the gospel are casting mantles out on people and some people just continue working and let it fall to the ground. Some of you have a calling on your life. I don't know what it is, but you know because God has called you to do something and yet we just keep working as if nothing has changed. It doesn't mean you always have to stop your work. And go vocationally into ministry. Sometimes it means he wants you to be the minister at work. Because I can't get in there. I mean, I always joke in our area, I can't even get into your workplace. They just let the preacher do it. That's impossible here. I don't have clearance for that. I don't have a card for that. I'm the only guy at lunch that doesn't have a lanyard. You know what I mean? Probably should get one just so I can look like everybody else, right? Harvest Point lanyard. Check out what happens next. He left the oxen and ran after Elijah. I mean, this, you know, he just drops it and starts running after Elijah because he realizes what's happened. He realizes this call and the privilege of this call. He says, look, let me give, kiss my mother and father and then I will follow you. Now, this is not an excuse. Because what we know about Elisha is he's actually going home to get his house in order so he can leave. Because what he's about to do is nuts. I mean, just look what... So, so he, he goes back, he says, go back again. He gives him permission. And then he returned from following him and took the yoke of oxen and sacrificed. Let's just say there's 24 of these oxen. You ever seen an oxen? Pretty big beast. I'm sure he had some pretty nice ones if he was rich. You know, just kind of like a nice truck. You know, the richer you are, the bigger they seem to be, you know. Have some little S10. He's got something big and nice. These big, muscular oxen. Imagine sacrificing 24 of those. Be a lot of blood, wouldn't it? And then he takes the plows. He could have sold all this stuff, right? Could have sold his small business. Instead, 
He does what the rich young ruler could not do or would not do. And that is he sells it all to follow God. And he takes the plows. He makes a bonfire. He cooks the meat. He's, you know, tenderloin and ribeye. He's like, who wants some ribeyes, you know? And who wants a, who wants a filet? I got some right here. We got plenty, 24. And then he feeds the whole town. That's what it says. He fed the whole town. And he says, all right, guys, I'm out. This is it. I'm leaving. Leaving town to go be a prophet of God. And then you don't hear from him again for seven or eight years. He almost disappears. Seven or eight years, we know, until Elijah is about to be caught up in that whirlwind and then we start talking about Elisha again in the Bible. Because every call is a call to prepare. If you're called by God, which you all are, everybody is called. Not always vocationally like me, where it's my job full-time, but you're called by God at your job full-time. And Elisha was called, and he said yes. He ran after. He was willing to burn whatever was in his way. You know, our commitments... Our commitments, if you think about them, are really more about what we give up than what we're actually seeking. What I mean by that is when I say, I love Jessica, and when I said the vows of marriage, I was saying, I give up all other women. I'm only your man. And you're only my wife. And so it's really this crazy rejection of intimacy with any other women. That's what love is. Love, I was listening to G.K. Chesterton on the way in this morning. Which is blowing my mind, by the way. It's nuts. I mean, seriously, that guy is over the top. But anyway, that's why Lewis, that's why C.S. Lewis liked him so much. Um, he, said, he said, you know, love is not blind. Love is bound. If love was blind, then God would be blind. God's not blind. God saw our predicament, and get this, He bound Himself to us by becoming one of us. That's nuts! It's as nuts as what Elisha does here. I mean, he gets this mantle thrown on him. He's like, all right, let's, let's do it. <sighs> Starts killing all the animals, slicing up the meat, cooking it. All right, we're out of here. Let's roll. He's ready to go. He's ready to do whatever it takes to obey God. Whatever the cost, he's willing to say, you can have it. It was yours anyway. It's just not the way we look at the world, though, is it? Jim Elliott, who was a young man, missionary to Ecuador. You may remember his, his story. Uh, he prepared, you know, all of his, his uh, young life to be a missionary. And it had some journal writings and this and that. Well, he finally gets to go to Ecuador. He's going to an unreached people group. They land there by plane. You know, he's a pilot and stuff. And there's a group of them, five of them, that land there by plane. They are immediately killed. First day on the job, if you will, 
they're immediately killed by these Ecuadorian headhunters. You say, man, what a loss, you know? Just what a loss, right? We're still talking about him today. Here's one thing he said that's quoted over and over again. Let me read it to you the way he said it, because I always quote it out of... He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. The clothes that we wear, the house that we live in, the cars that we drive, the money in the bank, you're not taking any of that with you. (laughs) I got news for you. When you're dead, you're dead. It's over. And it's over. And it's over. The only thing we can take with us is the love of God and others. Isn't that what matters when somebody dies anyway? Is the love that you shared with them? Not the money. I don't want any blood money from anybody dying. I trust my Father in heaven. Some of the worst family situations are brought on by someone's death as the buzzards circle. I've seen it. You've seen it. I don't want any part of that. I trust my Father. I don't need an inheritance from man. I want an inheritance from God that lasts forever. The only, Tammy said this today in our prayer time before service. She said, It was only by the cross that the Spirit came. In other words, Jesus said, I have to go to the cross and suffer and die and then be resurrected in order for the Spirit to come. And what I'm saying, based off of Elisha's story here for us, the only way to be obedient to God is to pick up your own cross. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow Jesus. That's it. That's the only way forward. Burn everything else. Strategically bridge burn in your life. Because when you say yes to him, you're saying no to everything else. You're saying, Lord, whatever else you decide to give me, it's yours. The job, the kids, the house, it's yours, Lord. It's not mine. That is a freeing way to live. And yet we choose to live for mammon. Then he arose and went after Elijah and assisted him. We have the rich young ruler and the rich young farmer, I'm calling them. The farmer chose the more excellent way, which is the way of love, not of possessions. Which are we? Are we willing to sell everything to follow Jesus, truly? Are we willing to give it all up? It doesn't mean that we're going to lose it all. But what if we do? But we gain him. We've gained everything. Are we willing to put it all on the altar? Abraham did. Didn't he? Elisha did. 
And so did Jesus. We too, like them, these two rich guys, we too are rich in many different ways. Will it be what a friend we have in Jesus or will it be we have no friend but Caesar? Will we deny ourself or the Lord? There's no middle ground here. Once the mantle's thrown on you like it has been this morning, there is no... Whatever you do is, a, is, a, is an answer. I pray in my prayer, and the thing that would most make me happy <laughs> on Pastor Appreciation Sunday is to see you fall in love with Jesus Christ and give Him everything. I mean, honestly, to see that happen in people's lives, and we have seen it right here. We really have. There's plenty of people in this room who have given Him everything and continue to give Him everything. And trust me, that's an everyday thing. Take your cross daily and follow Him. He gives us enough manna for today, not for three years. Let's, let's feed on him in our hearts by faith today. Let's let him be enough just for today. Don't worry about tomorrow. Is he enough today? He is, if we'll trust him with everything. I'll end with this. He says to the rich young ruler, he says, one thing you lack, just, just one thing. I need everything. Or it's nothing. I think that's Jesus' word to us today is, I need everything or it's going to be nothing. It's what I said to my wife when I got married. It's what she said to me. I want you, nothing else, and that's everything to me. And our relationship with Jesus is a marriage. We are his bride. Let's give him everything. Amen.